The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we look at the deeper themes and hidden layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Dom Bettinelli of the StarQuest Network, and I wanted to start this show briefly with a note that this is an episode we recorded a few months ago to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash StarQuest for their generosity in making this and all the shows at StarQuest possible. We gave them early exclusive access, but now a few months later, we're making it available to you to show you one of the benefits of becoming a patron of StarQuest. Our patrons asked questions of our Tolkien experts, and they got some great answers. And so now we bring you this show, and we hope you enjoy it. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media that's derived from them. And all this is made possible by you, our patrons on Patreon. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today on the panel are Jeff Hecker. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And Mike Schramm. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Thomas. And Patrick Mason. Hello there, Pat. Howdy, Tom. And here at StarQuest, we are always looking for new and exciting ways to thank you, our patrons, whose generous support makes all of our shows possible. We recently reached out to our patron community to see if you had any questions to ask about Tolkien or his marvelous legendarium, and we got some really fantastic responses. So we will be devoting this entire episode to your patron questions as a special thank you for your continued support of StarQuest and the secrets of Middle-Earth. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app. Although I actually just heard recently that Google Podcasts is going away, so... Yeah, it's going to go to Don't YouTube Don't follow us music. on that, then. Don't go to yeah, that one. that's dumb. And because that's the, that's the player I use, but whatever. And you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter, or X, where we are at SQPN, or on Instagram, where we are at Starquest Network. And don't call, forget, uh, call Thomas on a landline and he'll just talk you through the whole thing. Was that? <laughs> yeah. Boo. <laughs> and don't forget that Sorry. you can get your own official Secrets of Middle Earth merch, including our awesome T-shirt at sqpn.com slash merch. It's a great way to support our show and to show your love for Tolkien and his wonderful world of Middle Earth. So we got some great questions, and basically this is going to be kind of a loose kind of freeform thing. I'll read off these questions, and then I'll just pose it to the group, because I'm, I'm sure that they're all kind of, I noticed, like lore-based questions, which is great, because we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, our first question comes from Stephanie Ann, who writes, um, I have always wondered about the wizards in Lord of the Rings. Are wizards born, or are they made? What determines the wizard's skill set and rank? Thank you guys for all you do. Okay. Well, we know that a wizard is always on time. He always arrives exactly when he <laughs> yeah, means precisely to. when he means to. Precisely so. when he means to. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I usually say when I'm late to stuff. Which is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like this has been answered definitively, right? They come on yes. a comet. They come on a comet, Aww. according to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait! What are we? What's what's going on here? Uh, I thought we all saw this. Excellent Did right hook. That caught way off guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If 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 you have seen um, the Rings of Power, uh, you might be under the impression that wizards arrive on Middle Earth on meteors, um, but that is something that they invented for the television show. I'm not sure why, because there it was for me, it was one of the sillier, sillier elements of the show, because it is there is a definitive answer to this, actually, in the legendarium, the unfinished tales. <laughs> oh, let's hear you. It's our main then, source. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I, mean, like, I want to answer Stephanie Ann's question, <laughs> because the, you know, the, the unfinished tales is our primary source for this information well before right? even before even that in the Silmarillion during the the creation myth Ina Lindale 
you hear about the Valar and then yes. the, the, or the Einar and the Valar, like, I kind of like to think of the Valar as like the archangels and the, um, uh, the Maiar, which is the order of wizards and, uh, Sauron and the Balrogs, they're all considered Maiar. So, so as a, as a starting point, they're created by the music of the, uh, or I guess the, were they created by the Valar or during the music or were they created by Eru Luvatar? Um, all the Ainur are kind of created directly by together. Yeah. Eru Iluvatar. That's the right. impression I always got. Yeah, but they, but they the... exist before Middle Earth. That's right. the, the key well, here. Because the thing, especially in that very kind of mythic creation story, they don't really break down the like principal versus intermediate causes anyway. So you uh-huh. don't really always get that impression. But right, it's sort of like they're all, some of them are almost created through the act of the song. Mm. But yeah, a few of them. Yeah. I mean, the I whole theme is being run by Luvatar anyway, so. Yeah, and um, and yeah, like like I was saying, like the for those who may not know, the wizards and Sauron and Balrogs and um, uh, Ungoliant, the, the spider who's the ancestor of Shelof, they're all Maiar um, because there's the seven or the is it seven named Valar or eight Valar? There are seven named male Valar, male Valar okay. I believe. I think there's yeah. like, there's over there's, a dozen total. I okay. Think. Yeah. I, yeah. Only, unfortunately, I don't know. Is I don't always keep remember all of them, but I, you remember the main ones. But, um, but yeah, basically, wizards are of the same class as um, Sauron and the others. They're angelic they really, beings, essentially. Yeah, they're like the yeah. angels, whereas the Valar are the archangels. Yeah, and they they kind of get their flavor or their power from which. I mean, if you're thinking of a lot of the Maiar fall under certain Valar and, and are kind of of their court. Mm-hmm. Or are in their train, the way they put it, and so the 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 way they are comes more or less from their from their Valar. Um, and if I remember, like Gandalf and Saruman are both um, Manway, if I remember correctly. Saruman's Aule, actually, Aule, the, right. the Smiths, just like Sauron. Aule has a really bad track record, as we've, <laughs> as we've said on this show before. He has a really bad track record with but apprentices. I, but I have such a soft spot for him still. You know, we I talked know, about that yeah. in the last, in the last episode. So, you yeah. know, like it, it yeah, kind of reminds like it, me of it. Doesn't it kind of strike you very similar to almost like an angelic hierarchy? You yes. know, and, and that's yeah. why I brought up the thing about like in the um, Annalindale, it doesn't go specifically into each thing as an intermediate cause. But um, but Aquinas kind of uh, approaches this question, too, in terms of the relationship between the the orders of or the yeah, the um, choirs of angels and things like that. And you kind of get that sense um, just as you kind of work your way down the hierarchy in creation of Middle Earth, too. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting too about the Meyer for me is like, eventually they can, they can take the uh, various forms when they come into the world, into Arda, they can take very, like one of the Meyer is, is the, the, uh, uh, I forget the name, but the, like the original giant Eagle is a Meyer. Um, and he's, he's a servant of Manway. And so all the Eagles are descended from that in the same, in the same way, the Shelob is descended from Ungoliant and as well, one of the other questions was about this, so I'll save it. But there's some uh, Maiar blood in the line of Aragorn, and mm. so. And what's interesting too is that the um, once the uh, the the wizards, the 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 Astari, as they're called in Valinor, as when they take on mortal bodies, they're subject to a lot of the things mortals are subjected to. You know, mm. they can feel even though they're these angelic beings, they can feel hunger, they can feel thirst, they can be weary. They don't die of old age, but they can be killed, you know, and they actually don't have access to their full panoply of angelic powers. And even a lot of their memories of Valinor are suppressed when they're in Middle Earth because the the Valar essentially send the wizards to middle earth because the backstory of this is that of course morgoth the original dark lord is defeated by the valar in spectacular fashion at the end of the first age but with sauron for whatever reason the valar don't want to interfere directly again so they send emissaries in the form of the wizards so these wizards are not like 
Harry Potter wizards. They are not even like Merlin, really, because they're mm. more than human. They're although uh, in some versions of the Arthur, Arthur mythos, Merlin yeah. is half angelic. But but yeah, they're 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 definitely more than human. They're not truly human, which is interesting, even though they look human and they've taken on human forms. Gandalf mm. is more like his Maiar self after he comes back from yeah. the dead when he's Gandalf the white because he's been you know he's he's been given that level up and he has more power <laughs> access to his well, angelic you, abilities now you almost get that sense when um when he's first approached by Aragorn Legolas and Gimli in the forest where he doesn't recognize that name right away yeah too. and so there's a little bit of that like you know, this is never who I really was. This is just who I, you know, and not to take that whole Gandalf, the importance of that name away from him, but that was still sort of a name that was given to him by, um, you know, because he was on Middle Earth. Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, same yeah. thing with Mithrandir. Like Mithrandir is just the is Kenya, um, you know, Quenya, like language or whatever, too. For the Grey Pilgrim, yeah. There's another part of the question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Saruman the White kind of betrayed his purpose. And so the, the, uh, yeah. Valar basically gave him, they kind of passed that role to Gandalf. So it's almost like a, like a form of, uh, of apostolic succession in that. Huh. He, I thought you were going to compare it to, uh, what Eliakim and, um, you know, from Isaiah 22, right? Where the <laughs> God replaces him with the new, yeah, gives him the keys and all gives that the keys, stuff. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a whole, new, it's a whole terrible it's a, steward. <laughs> see, we all thought the Old Testament was the typology for the Pope, but really it was Saruman and, and the, yeah. it was the high council. <laughs> Saruman and Gandalf. Saruman, your staff is broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where was Scott mm-hmm. Hahn on that one? You know, it's like. <laughs> And the, and like we joked about, they they in the Rings of Power we see a a Maiar or you know presumably a Maiar arrive in a comet. Um, now we we still remains to be seen is he a blue wizard, which we'll talk more about. And we'll a, get to that and, later. Yeah, but the the I correct me if I'm wrong, but all the all the Asari, all the wizards arrive on Middle Earth on a ship, don't they? They they do what. Yeah, Tolkien, there's two versions of it. In one version, they all arrive together. And in the other version, the two blues arrive separately in the Second Age. Yeah, way With Glorfindel. Yeah. And then the three, you know, Saruman, Gandalf, and Radagast arrive in the Third Age. So there's a bit of... The canon was never really settled in terms of the wizard's arrival. To me, I think the most interesting thing about the wizards is that they all show up as humans. Um, you know, cause they could have been right. Cause they're, you know, theoretically angelic beings. So they could have taken any shape or any form. And like all, as far as we know, the blue wizards, we don't know that much about them, but as far as we know, they all show up as men. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they don't come as, as elves or dwarves or orcs or, or, you know, not that they would come as orcs, but you know, hobbits. As hobbits is that or how? Ants is or, that how the see? You'd think Saruman would know how the orcs were made. Then, if that was the case, he wouldn't have to like bring it up rhetorically in the movie. So, well, doesn't Gandalf? <laughs> doesn't Gandalf when he first arrives to Middle Earth, or maybe it's when he arrives in Valinor? He's he's not in. A, he's in more of an elvish form, and he kind of changes as the like he, the elves kind of learn who he is. Or am I? Oh no, you're you're right. There's I think there's a reference somewhere. It's either in the Silmarillion or the Unfinished Tales that when he was in Valinor as Aloran, yeah, maybe Gandalf likes to appear in elf form. Yeah, yeah. There's they have a yeah. It seems like once they've when they're when they're in the Undying Lands, they can they have a little bit more kind of freedom in their in their form because as we said, they're they can all they can shapeshift. Sauron was a shapeshifter as well. Um, mm. If you read, especially if you read the Silmarillion, there's some. Mm-hmm. does some interesting things there but um yeah it seems like once they arrive in middle earth they're kind of like locked in that that human form at least the astari anyway yeah it's almost like they you know like the valar wanted to handicap them in a way i think so that they wouldn't go bad like sauron although that didn't entirely work because of sauron, say. but <laughs> but like i feel like you know they wanted to say like okay you can't set yourselves up as dark lords in your own right so we don't want that to happen. So we're going to sort of, you know, dampen your power a little bit. Because I think what what they were really supposed to do was rally the free people of Middle Earth to defend themselves. 
you know, not so much take that frontline leadership position as be sort of the catalyst, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly what we get from, I mean, Gandalf's the most obvious example and he is very much pegged by Tolkien as this is how they should have done it. Right. Like if, if Saruman had done his job right, he would still be Saruman the white and this right. is what he would be doing. And that's all Gandalf does is constantly ride around the map, convincing everybody <laughs> there's a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and in, yeah. And in terms of rank, cause I know part of the question was about rank. I believe it's just the Valar appointed Saruman as the chief. So like in terms, it really depends on like, you know, that authority has to come from the Valar. I, I was kind of warning about that too. I mean, this is, this is totally just kind of like my own speculation or reflection where you want to get the sense of, it's not just a purely arbitrary thing. Like they just drew names out of a hat, you know, and it just happened to be Saruman. And then, Oh, the, well, he had the power. So it corrupted him. But if you think of like what each one of them, so at least the three that we know of, you know, again, it kind of reminds me of like, there's, there's three archangels whose name we know of, but we Mm. don't know, you know, the rest of them, but uh, they're, they're sort of devoted to different things. And we, we obviously see that, you know, in their depictions. And I know we only see Radagast in the, the, the Hobbit movies, you know, that we won't speak of, but, <laughs> not, yet. but not yet, but, yeah. uh, but, you know, obviously we get some of that in, in his very brief mentions in the Silmarillion, but it's like Saruman, he's always known for, he's the one who can like manipulate language. You know, they always sit like, don't, you know, keep your ears closed to what he's saying, or he's going to like confuse your mind, or he's going to kind of turn you guys around. And we see him do that with some of the, some of the peoples of middle earth, um, you know, in getting, and obviously with his servant worm tongue as well, but then later on with the hobbits right before the scouring of the Shire. Um, and so his is like the highest in terms of what he deals with, because he's dealing with language and lore and ideas, which I think he's even described as that's like his specialty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, we have Gandalf, which is like, he's dealing primarily with the, like the, the rational creatures. Like he's the one who is always this kind of bridge between the, the elves, the men, the dwarves and the hobbits. And that's why, like you guys said, he's always going around from place to place, trying to like, you know, help the relationships or unite the peoples together and things like that. So his is like the rational creatures. And then we have Radagast who is you know, he's the one who's kind of known as he's always in the forest, like with the animals. So he's sort of like dealing with the, the sub rational creatures, right. With the, the, you know, what is it, the hedgehog mm. that he is or the, the bird or the, yeah, you know, the birds yeah. and uh, rabbits and stuff. And so that was, um, like, like I said, those are just the three that, that we know of, you know, were the blue Istari, were they like on even lower orders, like something more elemental, like you had them dealing with like, you know, that that's like I said, that's all speculation or whatever, but that's what we sort of get. We get, and that would make sense that at first Saruman would have been at the top or the, the chief of the order until, you know, his choices is what knocked him off is what um, corrupted him and what threw him down. I think Gandalf too was just generally more humble. Like I believe, well, I believe he was afraid even to go to Middle Earth. Like he didn't really want mm-hmm. to go. He was, you know, he, he, but he submitted his will to, you know, to the Valar and to Eru Luvatar. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, I mean, I think there's that, you know, there's some some you know lesson there that of being humble is kind of being that humble leader is what kind of kept him from that corruption, but. Even was and this could be more from the movies, but even in the in the the Fellowship films or the or the Lord of the Rings films, he he was afraid to take the ring. Like he didn't want to touch the One Ring when mm. Bilbo was or when Frodo inherited it because he didn't want. Like Frodo was trying to give it to him, and he said, "Don't tempt me," because like he knew even as you know, good and humble as he was, like something like that could corrupt him. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I and I don't know, I can't remember where this idea came from, maybe the Lost Tales book. But I have this uh in my head, this conversation between Gandalf and Saruman, like on the boat, or like right before they're about to leave, about who's gonna be in charge, because it's like, well, mm. you're a servant of Manway, and he's the head of the order. And Gandalf's like, Yeah, but I don't really want to be in charge, and you're the wisest so (laughs) it's kind of Gandalf being like I don't don't know if I really want to be in charge it's almost by like by sacrificing that leadership position gives Gandalf more freedom 
to go about mm. Middle Earth. And whereas Sauron is just, uh, Sauron, Saruman, you know, you know, what's the difference later? But anyway, like Saruman, Heavy. like. You know, heavy was the head one place. the crown, though. You know, or mm-hmm. heavy was the hand that held the the white staff. I guess would be the yeah. You don't know what Gandalf would have become if he was in that leadership position instead of Saruman. It's an interesting question. But um, uh, did you guys have any other thoughts on the wizards before we move on to uh our next question? Okay, so dan asks and this is this is actually an interesting uh question in terms of tolkien uh reading and getting into the silmarillion dan asks i'm reading the silmarillion for the first time and getting a bit confused on names and places who is melian again which group of elves is he talking about now where are we in the timeline etc is there some kind of cheat sheet or reference doc you'd recommend having with you while reading the Silmarillion. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks, Dan. Um, Firstly, I I just want to shout out, um, give a shout out to the YouTube channel Nerd of the Rings, because he actually has (laughs) a couple of great videos that can kind of act as cheat sheets for some of the Silmarillion stuff. He has a guide to Tolkien's elves and also another video on the houses of the Edain, which are the early men. And that will those two videos will help you kind of keep track of some of the names of the different clans of elves and men. As for individual people's names, I'm not aware of a master sheet or anything. And I, I admit it is very confusing. The first time I read this Silmarillion, I was a bit lost. <laughs> yeah, there's there's wikis online that are good. I mean, it, it they're not necessarily spoiler free. So if you're like not mm-hmm. really wanting to know kind of how it all ends maybe avoid that but yeah i mean online there's various ones online um and we should shout out here in terms of silmarillion uh caitlin fashisa one of our one of our panelists she's she runs tea with tolkien which i believe she's done like book clubs of the silmarillion with like discussion guides so yes um, yeah definitely check her out check out her website and such for resources um i've not really perused it myself but um but yeah i mean there yeah it's it can be hard to follow sometimes, but yeah, I was, we were kind of alluding earlier. Melian is actually a, you know, I don't know if we want to give a answer to those couple questions, but she's actually a, a Maiar. So she's mm-hmm. of the same order as, as the wizards who as part of, you know, what's kind of of a grand plan among, uh, you know, Eru's grand plan to, to a noble men, to make men the noble masters of Arda to bring that Maiar blood. Cause she marries, King Thingol, the elf, and their child, their daughter is uh, Luthien, who marries Baron and is an ancestor of Aragorn. And they're, and they're, they're both ancestors of, or uh, Baron and Luthien are ancestors of Aragorn and Arwen. Mm-hmm. So it um, kind of reunites that bloodline, you know, millennia later. Just to just to cut in really quick. So you mentioned tea with Tolkien. Uh, so yeah. she has a specific Silmarillion reader's guide. It's a free 64 page ebook that Thomas, maybe you want to put on the uh, show notes. As yeah, a I link will. To Great. Afterwards. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely a, a resource worth um, looking into. Yeah, it's and I mean, the Silmarillions, it's hard. I know I, I read it. I think one, I've read it twice now. The first time I definitely didn't get it as much. Um, and as I've kind of like, but I it just the lore kind of sucks me in every time. So I read it again uh, last year, year before, and like I was able to, and I'm a fast reader and I like I like to skim through and get to the, you know, see what's happening with the plot. But the Silmarillion, the Silmarillion is not really that kind of a book. It's, no, it's a collection yeah. of legends and stories. So definitely take your time with it. And there's I mean, there's, you know, we, yeah, we haven't mean, done I'd a, say a, a don't chapter about the small stuff with it for sure. Yeah. Cause you're not going to get it all the first time, but it's, it's one yeah. that like you go back to it and you get more out of it each time. And, you know, we're not going to go and reread. We're not going to do a chapter by chapter podcast about it. I mean, we could, why not? <laughs> we'd be here a long, we'd be here a long time. To, yeah. I will admit that one chapter, which is, it goes I mean, into like excruciating detail about the geography of oh, Valerian, yeah. the lay of Valerian. You, you can is. probably skip that. <laughs> Well, if you get bogged down, <laughs> you know, there's and there are some cool maps online. I think one is is a, a LOTR project is a where you can like pull up giant interactive maps of 
uh, of Middle Earth and of you know of Balerion, which was the continent mm-hmm. that no longer mm-hmm. exists. So um, there's definitely on. I mean, online resources are great, and it's like there's so much there that you know you can dig into. And like every time we like we're talking about a topic, I'm like I start looking up stuff, and then like I find this name that I'm not I don't remember, and I look that up, and it leads me to <laughs> and you just go down a rabbit hole. hole. Yeah. So. I for me, I the first time I read it, I read it straight through. Didn't didn't remember a dang thing. <laughs> yeah, I, would, yeah. I would think I would remember things, and my friends would be like, "That didn't happen that way." And I'm like, "Yeah, it did. I totally did." <laughs> uh, and um, I read it again, and I I used I have the Atlas of Middle Earth, and I used oh, that. That's a fantastic book. Quite extensively, like I would read that, and then I would pull the atlas out and read the section, and look it back, and look back and forth because I really I do need a map in front of me in order to get things right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say what made it all like work for me was reading the, the first age tales, which I mean, some of them were only put out by uh, Christopher Tolkien fairly recently, you know, like Baron and Luthien, the fall of, um, Gondolin and, um, the children of Huron. And like, once I read those and got it kind of in story form, it made the history piece like work. Like I understood the names and who the people were and how it worked. And so like by the third time I read it, <laughs> it was, it really worked, but it did take me three times. Cause yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I'm like, who are we talking about? How many sons of family yeah. were there? And why oh do these my people gosh. matter? Well, it's, almost like, it's almost like reading the Bible. Like there, yes. at one point I've tried yeah. to like, you, you know, people say, I'm going to read the Bible starting with Genesis and go front to back. And, while you can do that, you're going to get lost in, you know, probably in, <laughs> in judges and, uh, or, you know, you're going to get lost in De- Deuteronomy. Leviticus yeah. is so numbers, numbers. Jump yeah. on this now. You got a couple of months before January 1st, Tolkien in a year. And uh, you can <laughs> just, be, right, just be interviewed yeah. by today, just like Father Mike Schmitz. Yeah. 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 I somehow think it would take us a lot longer than a year <laughs> to, to do that. Especially when we did all the history of Middle Earth. Like, <laughs> You'd have to I, go to a weekly release. Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah. Uh, I'm a oh slow reader. God. I would die. <laughs> I would just die. I would just like what happened to Dad? Oh, he didn't eat for a week because he was reading Tolkien. <laughs> I fell out of I fell out of space and time. That's how he would have wanted meaning. to go. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's how you'd want to go. I think. <laughs> I mean, and as an aside, they ways. are re-releasing <laughs> the history of Middle Earth now. Do you guys see that mm-hmm. in yeah. hardback? And I was like. Ooh, I'm like, my bank account's not going to like that. But <laughs> but yeah, no, there's there's a lot. And I definitely say, like, if if you enjoyed the Silmarillion, yeah, find those um, the 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 great tales of Balerion. I, I have all three of them on my bookshelf next to me. And yeah, I, I, I like that they expand and even include stuff that was cut. Yeah. From the final Silmarillion, like in Baron and Luthien, Tevildo, Prince of Cats. Prince of Cats. Why, why did he cut that? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening to this. And I'm like, this, like, this is so weird, but so awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, e- even if he had just made it another form of Sauron, that would have been cool. You know, he has many names, many forms and stuff. So I'm like. Yeah, I'm like that was such a cool concept, and he he cut it. But yeah, and it it yeah, and the, I'm a bit sad that the fall of Gondolin is unfinished. You know, because oh, then that's epic. I mean, it's crazy to me because it's like the first thing he wrote, right? Like he yeah. he wrote that while he was convalescing after the Battle of the Somme, <laughs> like mm-hmm. he was injured, and that's the first Middle Earth thing he wrote, and he 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 finished one version of it, but he didn't finish the final version. You, you get Turambar gets right up to the gates and then that's it. And you're like, that's Oh, it, come yeah. On. <laughs> yeah. There, there is, there is an account of the battle, but it's kind of like an overview of everything that's happening. There are some cool moments though. So, and, and, a, and some of it, actually a lot of the final battle didn't make it into the published Silmarillion. So yeah, if, if you're looking for more of that stuff, you know, definitely pick up those books. Coming soon, Amazon's The Fall of Gondolin. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, that would yeah, be that, like a limited series on see, it. See, the, like a series or an. Uh, that's another thing they could they should consider like anime 
for because the fall of Gondolin is so over the top and like insanely sort of like violent in an over the top way. Well, yeah, because like yeah. In, the, in the original version, there's like a dozen or more Balrogs who show up to the fight, and then and later dragons. on, yeah, later yeah. on, Tolkien's like, oh, there's only like four, or three or four of those guys, <laughs> and you're like. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah, like, don't say there's like three or four of them. See, like, and an elf is dueling one with the <laughs> people. People say that Game of Thrones went over the top in the final season, but it sounds like Tolkien was doing it first. Like, was doing you know, it first. Yeah. Before, yeah. So, well, in the, in the, um, in the fight, like one of the big battles of the first age, isn't there like there's dragons in the size of a mountain and there's flying ships, like, Arendil's isn't Arendil's ship uh, like flying around fighting, yeah. Yeah, fighting the dragons that are the size of mountains. <laughs> he ends up like being pretty critical in in dropping Morgoth, if I remember correctly. Like, like oh, I'm trying to remember that scene. <laughs> that and like Ancalagon the Black. Yeah, he slays Ancalagon oh, yeah. the Black. And when yeah, yeah when Ancalagon the Black falls on the mountain, Thangorodrum, he destroys it. Yeah. So that's how big he is. And I'm like, okay. Like, it's it's very Norse. It's very, you know, Twilight of the Gods kind of over the top and epic, which I'm sure is what he's going for. Um, but I guess moving on to our next question, Paul asks, and this is one of my favorite questions about Middle Earth. What do you really think happened to the Blue Wizards? So I'm going to let you guys go first before I give my own theory. I mean, I have one, I think that I think I've talked about on rings of power before, um, on our, when we were covering that last year or Thomas and I, so there's, I had the theory, uh, that the blue wizards were searching for the original kind of cradle of life of like the, of the elves, like, uh, Cuvanan is the name of it. Oh yeah. Um, which was supposedly lost, but, it was somewhere lost in the East and we see the wizards kind of, you know, the, what we know of them is they're, they've kind of vanished off into the East. So I kind of have that theory of maybe they're out kind of searching for that original source of that, like, you know, some kind of primordial power, whatever, you know, whatever form it is, um, you know, they're drawn to it or they want, they want to, you know, for whatever reason, I don't really have a good re theory on what they, what they want, but I, I kind of had that thought like, maybe that's because, you know, the, they're going East, the, Cuvanan was where the elves were first awakened, uh, were first awakened was out east. So, and men too. Yeah. So maybe that's what they're looking for is that kind of that cradle of life. Eden, the cradle of, yeah. you know, of, uh, you know, sentient life, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, is it supposed to kind of represent the sort of like, I guess, the kind of east of Eden um, idea is sort of being presented here? Uh, mm. Where, is it is it representative of like moving away from the center, moving away from the source? And so do you get this, you know, in the same way that uh, biblical characters, when they move away from Eden, that it's supposed to represent something in terms of relationship, too. But yeah, that's I mean, you know, I punted on this one because your guess is as good as mine in terms of any sort of theory. So, so I, I like. So I, in my mind, I combine kind of the two accounts we get from between, um, is it the unfinished tales? And then some of the letters, um, you have the two and by the way, their names are like, yes. awesome. <laughs> like it's what the hammer of the East and the shadow slayer or something like some, something. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're middle earth names. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Their names in Valinor, I think are Alatar and Palando. Yes. But they get more awesome names when they come to Middle come to, So, yeah. but they come in the second age and, um, I see them very much as sort of the, um, what we get with Saruman and, um, Gandalf in the third age, they're sent to sort of head off Sauron. And in that time frame, a lot of what he does is in the East, right? He's sort of, in the east with the eastern men and setting up the you know the death worship and the morgoth worship and all of that and i think their primary aim in that time frame was to disrupt and to um sort of try and bring men back you know the eastern men into you know a, a relationship with eru uh a knowledge of the valinor uh to, to sort of break sauron's power 
Um, mm. And I think there's a potential that they could have been like two of the heroes of the second age unsung heroes. Right. Um, Cause you, there's a possibility that Sauron's forces would have been so much more powerful, um, at, you know, in the final days of the second age where you have the, the final alliance of the free peoples of middle earth, fighting all the peoples in the West fighting against him. Um, and he's, you know, basically retreating back and shrinking in power as he's going back to Mordor. And, um, you know, then we get the tale that all five of them go over in the third age. Right. And again, these guys go off to the East and you never hear about them again. Right. Um, and you kind of get a feeling like they screwed the pooch on this one. <laughs> like they, mm. they, they didn't do as well because unlike in the second age where Morgoth is twice beaten back first by the Numenorians and then later on by the, you know, the combined forces of men and elves um, in, in, the third age, his power sort of springs forth from Mordor and he gets constantly reinforced by both, you know, the South and the East from peoples in the East. Um, and you, so you get this concept that maybe the blue wizards were not as effective. Maybe they failed. Um, and then there's, I think there's a couple letters Tolkien writes where he mentions them and he doesn't talk about them in good light. He says mm -hmm. that maybe they felt evil Maybe there's some problem. So there's a thought that maybe they went kind of the same path as Saruman went and they sort of maybe not become disciples of uh, Sauron themselves, but try and set themselves up as powers unto themselves and are sort of acting as vassals of Sauron. And so there's all there's, there's that kind of interplay. So it doesn't sound like it ends well for them. Um, right. Yeah. I, I tend I tend to agree with your take, Pat. Um, I think, too, there, there's been some new material that's come out recently, I think, where like even after like some notes that he wrote after those letters, like he left it open that the blue wizards were redeemed in the end and that like their mission was like that they that they that if they did fell, fall, they ended up like unlike. Saruman they, they didn't commit to it to the bitter end um, I like the idea of them in the second age opening up this kind of second front against Sauron this kind of behind almost like a guerrilla war almost in the east you know be, you know rallying those easterlings because we know that like not all the easterlings and Haradrim are going to be on board with this evil like demonic god king who demands human sacrifice and all that stuff so <laughs> surely not everybody can be the aztecs right surely <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like the, the, it, it, it can't just be one monolithic culture in the east and in the south either there's got to be different tribes and different nations of men so i'm sure not all of them are on board and i believe in in the end, some of the most recent material, Tolkien says that even in the Third Age, the effect of what the Blue Wizards did in the Second Age is still there. That if they hadn't done what they did against Sauron in the Second Age, that even in the Third Age, he would have just easily overwhelmed the West. He would have been even more powerful than he was, which was insanely powerful. Right. Ten to like one. He would have had, <laughs> yeah, he would have had even more armies at his disposal. So, yeah, I, I think the, the canon is not set with the Blue Wizards, which is a bit unsettling because that means in adaptations they can kind of do whatever they want. But um, <laughs> yeah. but well, do I, I think in, in Rings of Power, do you think that the I think that I forgetting the name, is it the stranger that they the call stranger, him? Yeah. Do, do you mm. think he's a Blue Wizard or do you think he's Gandalf? Because there's that's those are kind of the mm. two theories. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm hoping Blue Wizard because I don't really you know i don't i don't because that the, the thing about it is like this, that storyline that whole the whole series is kind of in an undiscovered you know part of the lore that there's not really much there so they're not i mean they're not not overriding some things but they're also not like you know they're not breaking every all of canon but if it was gandalf it might be breaking canon a little bit he's too far. going east 
with yeah. Nori. So I feel like that's more. They almost might might be combining Gandalf yeah. and the Blue Wizard. Well, they're still trying to be really ambiguous because they have been the whole season. Yeah. So like they're going east, but he's also been hanging out with these things that you are pretty sure are going to become hobbits uh, eventually. Become hobbits. And yeah. he says that follow your nose line um, <laughs> yeah. at the end of season one too. So it's really on the nose in terms of yeah. what they're trying to literally. Do. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, but it could could it be that they're going because. Because I was a I was a Halbrand of Sauron denier the whole you know so the, was I, yeah we so, all were same yeah. And, and, and everyone yeah, on the yeah. podcast was yeah, yeah. so yeah. I'm wondering if like uh, I should have been earlier because I was like that's him right there <laughs> like immediately yeah. I'm like we oh, were, oh we he were saves Galadriel huh? yeah. <laughs> oh that's yeah, gotta I mean, be that's, him <laughs> yeah I mean I think for me it was more of like when we see Halbrand alone he wasn't really acting like. Like a, you know, he like he was on, you know, by himself. He, was he wasn't still acting in character. Like a, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. So that was kind of one of my main. But I mean, yeah. But if, but it, going back to, it, is it Gandalf or the Blue Wizard? Like, I, I don't know. Like, are they going to do it? If I feel like if they do it twice and to say, oh, it's Gandalf, then like the next time we see a mysterious character that's like could be somebody, it's like, yep, that's them. They're like, there's not a mystery left, not much mystery left. So well. I'm almost wondering if they're going to go the opposite of the Halbrand is Sauron and, and say it's, you know, it's not Gandalf, but. I mean, it seems like, cause you know, the blue wizards are always kind of lumped together too. And so mm-hmm. then you've got this one that's in the, so that, that's what makes me, that's that along with the other stuff seems like it's pointing more towards a, like, you know, winks at the camera. It's Gandalf sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm not going to be I'm, I'm not, like, not going to die on that hill either because oh, yeah, yeah. I've been, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think either way you go, you're breaking with canon. Um, I think that if he's Gandalf, you're breaking a lot harder because he's, you know, showing up a couple thousand, possibly thousand years too early. Um, mm. <laughs> um, whereas the Blue Wizards are there. They, I mean, they're there for a long time, potentially. Um, but yeah, they they do go like it's kind of it's. In my mind, it's almost the same conversation Gandalf and and um, Saruman have, where they sort of one cajoles the other into coming. Come on, you're coming with me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and so I figured they would have gone over together. Um, but I personally, I like the idea that he's a blue wizard way more than I like the than the concept that is Gandalf. I just that doesn't sit well with maybe me. what they'll reveal is that all the history say follow your nose. And when Saruman didn't start keep saying that, that's when they knew <laughs> that something was off. They're like, oh, I don't know, but I have a I don't have a feeling about this guy. That's going to be that'll be like the the foreshadowing. So in, in terms of of people disappearing, not just the blue wizards have fallen off the map in Middle Earth, but other characters, too. And Kerry asks in our next question. Where do y'all think the Entwives went? It has always bothered me. And could the Entwives represent anything? Mike, I know I, you had some interesting yeah. thoughts on this. I mean, so, I, well, just a quick, like, Google search will kind of say what the, the main theory is that Sauron killed them is kind yeah. of a, like in the war or leading up to the war of the last alliance or something like that it's like so that's basically like your quick answer you know but that doesn't entirely answer it anyway because it's like why were they like isolated you know or like left to like in such a situation where that could happen um and plus it seems like something pretty obvious that unless Treebeard didn't know that like he didn't know that was their fate i guess but that Again, why was why was why were they in a position where like they wouldn't know, you know? So that's that's where it maybe leads to more questions, even if you accept the like Sauron, you know, scorched earth, like burned them all or the or the, the brown lands, I think is the yeah, it's you know the brown what I mean? lands. So so even if you accept that, which I mean, I'm not really in a position to like argue hard one way or the other, but then it still leads to that kind of deeper question of like, why was there this almost isolation? And I don't know. I mean, they're called Ent Wives and Ent Maidens. So it's like you already have this like battle of the sexes between the two, right? You have this like men are from Mars, women are from Venus sort of thing that's set up right away. And so in terms of what they represent, I mean, you know, you can get into the whole like Jungian psychology or just all the different mythologies that go into like the, you know, male sex versus female sex and, and all the things that that represents too. That was just kind of my first thought on it. But yeah, I mean, I don't have like a, I don't have a great theory on this. Um, I mean, I kind of wonder if like, 
you know, maybe they're just, they I mean, so they somehow make it back to, you know, make it over the sea to, to Amon, to Val, you know, or Valinor and they're over there and somehow, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, like I said, I, don't, I haven't thought much about it. It's one of those things where it's like, it's really hard to speculate on because it could be like literally anything. There's not really any mm-hmm. evidence to kind of, go, or, you know, any kernels of anything to go on. So, I mean, it could be the blue wizards are searching for the ant wives for some reason, or they could be, you oh, know, yeah, at, at QVN yeah. in the, the, you know, the original cradle of life or something. Oh they, yeah. They may have gone there. That would be well, interesting. The, yeah. That kind of, I mean, the, the cradle of light thing kind of fits with like, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about trees. We're talking about plants and there is this whole kind of like male and female um, aspect when it comes to plants, whether it's like the fertilization and the cultivation. And so is that what's, what Tolkien is kind of, you know, giving us a little bit of a picture on. And like I was saying before, you know, you have these feminine figures in mythology, these masculine figures, and they always kind of represent something, um, almost like, well, representative of masculinity and femininity. And so if, you know, one of the things that you see with, you know, wifeness is the idea of cultivation, right? Ordering, ordering the home or the hearth or the, you know, just the, that sort of atmosphere. And that has to be, you know, um, I guess a balance between the two, right? If, if it goes over one way or the other, then it's going to like push the other one out. And that's sort of what, I mean, don't we kind of get that sense when we talk about the forest and like, was it, is it Fanghorn where the, uh, where the ends are? Yeah. Where it's like, it's become this like wild overgrown, like unkept sort of thing. Right. And it's, it's become in a sense, like life as it was, as it's supposed to be, can't really live there. Like it used to be like, it's a treacherous kind of, like I said, very unsafe place. I mean, we get that glimpse, obviously, when the the hobbits are kind of escaping and there's this almost like this anger in the woods. And so, I mean, isn't was that something that was created, you know, over these eons of time in Middle Earth because of there was um, uh, an imbalance, right? Yeah. And Mary even mentions when they first enter the forest that he can't imagine animals even living there. Yeah. So it's become kind of hostile, mm-hmm. not just to like men and elves, but to like anything that's not plants. It's like it's become this sort of hostility. And I mean, the fact that like Treebeard's first thought is that they're just little orcs, like they're just a little <laughs> enemy. It's like you're, you're uh-huh. like the first thing, you know, the first living thing. Oh, it must be an enemy, you know, and it's like it's almost like this. It's like the um the the protective nature of masculinity but it's gone overboard it's you know for lack of a better term it's become toxic right mm-hmm. where it's just out to out to fight for the sake of fighting and you know we we i mean cuz again if you if you watch the the two towers before ever reading any of the books or anything you definitely get that sense of it's almost off-putting treebeard <laughs> is you know treebeard smash yeah. you know like <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like the idea that the, the ant wives, like they went off, you know, they scattered after Sauron burned their, um, burned their garden and they went dormant somewhere and they're kind of just, you know, living in or around gardens across middle earth. Um, mm. just as sort of a, I don't know, that's, I guess that's young me, <laughs> you know, reading the little bit in the Hobbit where they talk about the, you know, the walking tree person in the North Moors and, Thinking, oh, that that's in fellowship. Everywhere. That's in like yeah. the first chapter. Oh, that's, that's right. That's I was going to bring that up. Yep. I was going to bring yep. that up because that's interesting. That like there's that little unsolved mystery of Sam talking about you know his cousin citing a tree person in the Shire, and that's never resolved ever. And it it it's what I like when Tolkien does that, where he leaves these little unsolved mysteries, but. At the same time, it makes me wonder, like, could that have been an wife? Because Treebeard says they would have liked the Shire because it's like a cultivated land, you know, pastoral, agricultural. And that, that was kind of um, one of their roles was teaching agriculture to man. Um, and you kind of mm-hmm. get that feel that maybe that's where they ended up was in the great agricultural places. Um, as far as what they represent, I for me. 
the the what they represent for me is the loss um for treebeard and the ants and the sort of sorrow this kind of never ending sorrow that they live in at the loss of their their beloveds um who you know it's not and it's kind of a weird relationship they have you know where they would go out of the forest and the ants would like visit the ant wives on occasion and then come back to the forest and it wasn't sort of a constant sort of a a relationship and it 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 very much for me it very much feels like he he sort of wrote in um C.S. Lewis's um loss of his wife into the Lord of the Rings as that sort of relationship between the ants and the ants wife and the loss and the feeling mm-hmm. you get coming out of Treebeard. Um I don't know how often Treebeard gets compared to Lewis. I think it happens occasionally. I don't know if it's a direct analog, um, but (laughs) that's interesting because I read somewhere that before Lewis died, the last discussion he had with Tolkien was about trees. So if, if tree beard is supposed to be kind of at least a partial analog for Lewis, that would make a lot of sense. Our last question is actually one that I'm probably going to have trouble answering all of us, maybe, but I Lauren, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Lauren asks, if there was one story element of the Lord of the Rings you would change, what would it be? Okay, Mike, go. Fly, you fools. That's the, <laughs> that's, the eagles fly Frodo to Mount Doom, and he just drops uh, it. <laughs> How is that? That's the most obvious. Like, <laughs> we don't need three books for this. I need four lines. <laughs> I, have you ever heard like, um, and I think it's genuine that there's there there's a bit of audio of Tolkien answering that objection. I think and, I have heard, yeah, 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 and it's it's really funny. <laughs> I forget exactly what he says, but I remember it cracked me up. It's proto drone warfare, is what it is. They could have saved so much, you know, so much. Like they could have just had. The eagle just fly it right in. Now, it would have been tough. Frodo still would have had to be the one to drop it because you can't have the ring go around the talon of the eagle or it would be wearing it, so that'd be problematic. But then Frodo would only have to carry it for a short while. You know, it wouldn't feel as heavy, all that stuff. Well, even even better, there's the theory that, like, why didn't they just tie the ring onto, like, a rat or a chicken or something and just carry the rat or chicken no one's burdened with the ring you're just carrying i don't want to see what a rat that's been pressured by the ring looks like that's like that seems, oh, that no. sounds worse than gollum yeah see, like this that chicken sounds... with fangs and like red eyes yeah. and, and like... even more unpredictable that's like it would just run away and take the ring to sauron basically <laughs> Well, I mean, you'd have to, you know, see, I, I'm, yeah. I'm joking. That's the spies no, are everywhere. Yeah, the spies are everywhere. Yeah. That's the, that's well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Even among beasts and birds. So, so it on So, I mean, okay. I know it was, it was kind of a joke answer, but it, it yeah. does speak to, and we did have our, we, we had our episode on the one ring a little bit mm-hmm. ago. And um, one of the things that was essential of it is that the will had to be involved. So obviously that's where, I mean, and again, I know it was all just, just teasing or whatever, but that does speak to the reality that, you know, the will, it had to be somebody choosing it, right? Somebody with the will of not just taking it, but taking it with the um, motivation to destroy too, mm. which the Eagles would have had, by the way. So, Well, and the, the thing, the thing about that, cause I've, yeah, I mean, that theory has gone around forever. Uh, but I mean, isn't it that the, the Eagles are, are like, they're kind of fickle beings. They're, they're yeah. not necessarily like, like the the eagle helped Gandalf because Gandalf saved him from a the king uh, from a poison arrow at one point. They're not necessarily like they're gonna do you know they're gonna they're gonna do whatever but what you request them to do. But they're also the eagles are kind of a like if you're if you're air dropping the ring you know or you know bringing carrying the the person carrying the ring like that's gonna be pretty obvious eventually. Whereas so they you kind of need that secrecy of the quest. Like that's why they didn't go with the giant army to march on Mordor. And that's why. Or Frodo and Sindel. Yeah. Or Frodo and Sam, you know, they like the, the last battle before the gates of Mordor, they like Aragorn, the whole plan is to distract Mordor and to have everybody looking at them so that, you know, they could give Frodo and Sam whatever chance they could. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is a fun theory to think about of, of flying the ring, flying the ring, you know, 
but like you said, there's there are spies among the animals, so like a, a giant eagle flying around is probably going to be pretty obvious uh, <laughs> to, see. to all Eagles the animals. X, Eagles X Machina, I think, is what yeah, that one is. Exactly. <laughs> no, and they literally are because they they they're made by and they sort of work for Manway. Who yeah, is like the descendants yeah, of the of the, of the, the Maiar that was the original eagle. Right. I forget the name of that. Is Throndor. it Thoron? Throndor, yeah. Throndor, yeah. Or deer. Gwaihir is the is the top eagle by the Lord of the Rings time frame. I'm sorry. I thought Manway wanted the ring destroyed too, so that seems to all fit, but you know. Well Manway gave the gave the a puff of air that pushed Gollum over. That's, the, oh, okay. I mean, he also oh. sent Gandalf. Oh. <laughs> good, good, to know. good to know that he's a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. To so to kind of go back to the question, though, like man, I mean, we just signed his name on the back after the project was done. That sounds like, like is, a group project. Is this thing still going on? <laughs> well, yeah. At least, at least for me to go back to the question, and, and I'm assuming she's talking more about the books than the films because. Mm-hmm. You know, stay tuned for discussion on the films. But I mean, one thing for me that 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 the films I think might have got might that I I think I, I may not say it's an improvement. One of the things I changes I like is, and I'm talking about the Lord of the Rings films is is Arwen's role. Like she has an expanded role compared to the books because in the books she's just kind of like the figure from afar that Aragorn is in love with and is you know he's doing all this so that he can he can marry her, um, you know, and he, and he's, he's not the reluctant hero like he is in the book, but I liked Arwen's kind of expanded, you know, warrior princess kind of role in, in the film. So um, maybe just something along those lines of giving her like more to do and more for the audience or the reader to kind of, you know, tie into her, uh, tie into that as, you know, that relationship. Cause a lot of things in like modern, you know, storytelling is like, built on a relationship like the shipping is involved. So, and this one had already been, we knew what was going to happen when the movies were made because the books had come out, you know, 50 years or whatever time beforehand. But I think just have it like, so, you know, not to critique Tolkien's, uh, you know, writing because <laughs> who am I to do so? But I mean, if I was, if I was adding anything, it might be something like, maybe not, you know, replacing Glorfindel's role. Cause that's the, she kind of does that in the, in the, the film she kind of takes over what Glorfindel does in Fellowship, but just maybe like some you know expansion on her and you know Aragorn's relationship is like the, how they you know interact in you know kind of a you know on the run situation like they do in the Fellowship. I saw a neat fan scenario where she goes with the Gray Company, mm. where she goes with her brother. I mean, yeah, that's mm. yeah, very possible, yeah. And like she doesn't in the fan scenario, she doesn't do a lot of fighting or anything. She has more of a healer role, like what Aragorn is doing at Minas Tirith, where she helps him in that way. But I, I yeah, it's like I, I feel like if if the Lord of the Rings were written now, there would be more of an expanded role for her because, you know, yeah, it it is kind of like. Nowadays, you have to give readers, I think, more of a reason like, OK, why, why yeah. do you care about this relationship? Well, like Baron and Luthien's relationship, like they go on this like awesome quest together to, to mm. steal a Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth and go through all kinds of like crazy adventures and just, you know, maybe something like that to kind of, you know, tie in, you know, just to kind of expand her role in a, a bit would be cool. And I mean, you could headcanon that that, you know, that kind of stuff happened. and um. But uh, that for me, that might be the, the, the and talking about the books, that's probably the thing that's that's coming to mind the most. Um, what about you, Pat? Would you change anything? I don't I don't think I would change anything. There's lots and lots of stuff I want to know more about. Um, yeah. Like the Pukelman. Like, mm-hmm. like every time I read oh, that geez. passage, I'm like, oh, man. I need to find out more about these guys and where they came from and who they are. Um, They're like Neanderthal men yes. in Middle Earth, which is really cool. I love those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's always there's always stuff I read that I'm like, uh, I want more. Um, but I don't know about if I would change anything. I think, um, I think if I did, there would be a little more um, interaction with the original dwarves from the hobbit because really you only get you know one 
and he shows up at the council. And that's pretty much it. Um, like, you, you more know, callbacks, yeah. Right. That could be a fun callback to kind of have have a couple more of them there, or maybe run into them on the thing. On I know, and they, you know, they're going to try and meet one. I, I can't remember. One of them goes to Moria, or maybe yeah. I was gonna say you, you do meet Balin, sort of. Sort of. And- <laughs> He's dead. Yeah, find his bones and <laughs> the like relics. Oh, I think they're the relics yeah, the of re- Balin is what we. Yeah, and Owen wrote the book mm-hmm. where it's like they are coming and all that stuff. Poor Owen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, heck, maybe even finding the dwarves in Moria still, still there, like still in distress and having like a know, dwarf, like an underground, like resistance of the dwarves. Well, against- like the dwarf catacombs, you know, like the. Uh, there i mean that would kind of make mm. sense that they would have that but if they were in hiding mm-hmm. then you know you'd have like a dwarf catacomb so. yeah so instead of finding just just their bones they're actually still some of them there and they're you know you could still have pretty much the same what happens to the fellowship happen but you know they're put basically on the back steps by these dwarfs and then then the balrog shows up and everybody scatters <laughs> i mean even even speaking to that, it'd almost be cool if there was like a um, almost like a, a dwarf like prophecy of some kind about, you know, almost like, you know, I don't know, like a even even if it was some sort of prophecy of like reunite because we talked about in our dwarves and elves episode where they have this sort of like kinship that goes back to their origins, but it's always been they're like the. Um, you know, like the younger brother with the chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if there was always this thing that what's going to unite them and it wouldn't even have to be something corny, like it was, you know, Gimli and Legolas's friendship was the real like unity that we made along the way or whatever. But like, you know, even if there, if they had a little bit more of that, you know, just like we have the basically prophecy of, of the ring or of the, the rise of men in this new age of men. Um, could there have been something even like, Oh, going all the way back to Aule, there is this uh, prophecy or whatever. I don't know. I just, it'd be, it'd be kind of a cool thing to, to explore. But yeah. And I mean, along with that more like, it, like just to expand on that, like more dwarf content would have been really cool. And the like, yeah. and in the books you do hear about their, you know, the dwarves of Erebor were fighting, you know, the, the agents of Sauron out there. So like you, you hear about the dwarf more of the kind of dwarf you know, army type stuff. So elves and men get a love story. Maybe dwarves and elves get a love story. Is that I, was about to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're not going to invite me back on anymore. You're gonna, like, <laughs> this was for the patrons. I keep making unsubscribe. too many jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> keep taking too many jokes about the movies, but uh, well, no, uh, I have, I have two things now. Cause like, I've been thinking about this the whole time we've been talking because originally I was going to say the Arwen thing, but Jeff, you took that, which is fine. I'm sorry. But, no, it's like, <laughs> and also I would have liked to have seen, yeah, more like elves and dwarves, like them, like send some forces to like the battle of Pelennor fields and something. But I think what I re I'm like you, Pat, it's, it's more like there's stuff I want to know more about rather than, things I would have liked to see changed. I want to know more about the, the nameless things that are like the center of the earth that Gandalf meets when he goes down, down with Mm. the Balrog. He says like there are tunnels where the, the earth is gnawed by nameless things and that Sauron knows them not for they are older than he. And I'm like, Wait a minute. Well, what are what are what are these things? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, like have they been like, around? Well, I'm not going to talk about them anymore. Yeah, have they been around as long as Tom Bombadil? Because I want to know more about him too. Him too. Yeah, it's like I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, well, that's just Tolkien. Yeah, I mean, that's just Tolkien like saying, "Here's something I don't have to. I can make up a villain, and he's I don't like, have to give just, him a backstory." Yeah, he's just giving you. He, he, as the author, is just giving you the middle finger. He's just like, I'm just going to put this in here, and you're never going to know. You're never going to know. Like, and it's then like, he went I, up and, and died before he could tell us. That's the thing, too. I imagine, too, that that the the creature that's in the pool before the Moria gate is one of those kind of Lovecraftian horrors that lives hmm. deep in the earth. Because they mentioned that it came from, like, deep underground or something and made its way into that pool. So I assume they're they're just like that. They're just mind-bendingly, like, awful 
if only like the Lord of the Rings movies had a like horror uh, director that had specialized in horror, you know, before actually directing the Lord of the Rings movies, then they really could have gone into some of that stuff. But <laughs> are you making a reference that I'm just that's not Peter getting? Jackson? Peter that was Jackson. Peter Jackson's oh, yeah. rep background. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that, and that's interesting. But yeah, I've more about the nameless things. I feel, was, like, I feel like Golem probably has like a whole catalog in his brain of what these things are because he's met them and seen them. Oh, and all probably. That. And like, I, I think even in The Hobbit, there's like a reference to that, that he like goes and talks to like creatures that just live in these corners and caves underground. Yeah, they should make a video game about Gollum's adventures too. Just, there, just stop it. They should. Stop. They, they, they should make a video game about Gollum's adventures that's good, and then not go under after they make it. So, <laughs> if you guys remember our Gollum episode in which we talked about the video game, and full disclosure, I have not played the video game. Yeah, but I never played Everyone either. who's told me about it has not had anything really good to say, but uh, which is a shame because again, apparently that studio was going to make a Blue Wizards game. And then nah. they went under. <laughs> and all your questions could have been answered. God. All of our questions could have been answered. so cool walking around as the and hammer then, of the East, just blowing and stuff And then the Tom Bombadil <laughs> video game. And yeah. yeah. I know. I just imagine Tom Bombadil as a summon character in a video game because that's clearly what he is. He's that summon that you make and he dances around and all, and all the enemies on the screen die. Yeah. 999. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Then the eagles could show up and you could ask them to do something and they just fly away. <laughs> Did they? Yeah, they're, they're, there's like a random chance they'll help you. <laughs> it's like you can summon the eagles, but like <laughs> whether, you whether, whether they 20, help you or not is up you to pure. 20 or more. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before, before this gets uh, too, too off the rails. We'd like a moment to take a moment to thank all of you, our patrons who have made this show possible because your generous donations help us to continue to create the secrets of Middle Earth and all of our shows here at StarQuest. And of course, you can join us at sqpn.com slash give. So now we'd like to hear from you guys. You can leave a comment on this episode on Patreon or on our YouTube channel when we eventually share this episode with the rest of our community of listeners. And as we look forward to recording more Secrets of Middle-Earth episodes in 2024, we'd like to ask you guys for your opinion. What topics would you like to hear us discuss? Please send your ideas to our Facebook page or contact us on Twitter, or you can send us an email at middleearth at sqpn.com or leave a comment on our YouTube videos or by visiting our channel at the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. So please join us next time as we continue to explore J.R.R. Tolkien's massive legendarium. Until then, Pat Mason, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle-Earth. You're very welcome. This was a lot of fun. And Mike Schramm, thank you as well. Thanks, Thomas. And Jeff Hecker, thank you also. Thanks, Thomas. And once again, I'm Thomas Salerno. Thank you for joining us on The Secrets of Middle-Earth right here on StarQuest.